Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 370th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always ready to do the math before the aftermath. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments this week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week? Well, we've got five segments to go through. We're going to lead off with the Metagame Week in Review. We've got a... a grand open qualifier in Prague that had a thousand people playing modern we need to talk about uh we've also got segment two our top paper movers things that have spiked recently due to things that have been spoiled segment three is our top movers online segment four has your picks and my picks and then segment five we've got a ton of new cards from march of the machine to talk about and it's why a lot of things have been moving price wise Starting off with the metagame week in review, we've got another huge modern paper tournament over in Europe that I believe included some uh, qualifying for world championships or the pro tour. Maybe it was a bit of both. I'm not entirely sure. There was over a thousand players in this event in Prague, and it was taken down by four color Omnath, which is not new. What is new to that build is Karuga as the companion, as opposed to... Uh, a variety of other uh, companions that have been used in the past. This is the companion that triggers off anything being cast that is three casting costs or greater and requires that everything in your... All the creatures or cards in your deck are all three casting costs or greater. I can't remember... Only cards. It's not just the creatures. So there's nothing that costs one or two. And this works out because this version of the list is running a whole bunch of elementals and omnath where the elementals can be pitched to do, you know, removal tricks early on, and that allows you to kind of sidestep the Karuga requirement. They're also running two of the Elish Norn from Phyrexia. All will be one in there. We have Creativity Combo uh, showing up in force, second, third, and sixth place out of the top eight. Hammer Time in fourth, Shardless Rhinos in fifth, Living End in seventh, and I think this is the first time we've seen Red Black Scam top eight a major modern tournament. Do you know why it's called Scam? I was trying to find this. Because because you get to save so much mana on Grief and Fury by using Undying Malice and tricks like that to bring them back. So you basically... Ah, uh, uh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Put them into play. You're supposed to sack them, but then you just give them Undying Malice or whatever the Feign Death, etc. So that when they go to the yard, they come back and you get to do it twice in the same turn. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. All right. That seems... Quite cool, and I understand now why it's called that, because the whole thing's a scam. Anything that can go Ragavan into Dothy Voidwalker is going to have my attention. Yeah. So, Modern looking good. Over uh, back on Magic Online, Pioneer Challenge from April 1st. Blue-Red Arclight in first, Bant Spirits with four Collected Company in second. Black-Red Midrange in fourth, Black-Red Sacrifice in fifth, Grease Fang in seventh, and then three interesting decks, Creativity Combo continuing to do well in this format as well as in Modern. This time, instead of searching up Archon of Cruelty as they do in the Modern format, they are going after Atraxic Grand Unifier, finishing in third. There's also in a Neoform combo brew that's been gaining momentum with four Tassiger and four Hooting Mandrels, Blasts from the Past uh, out of the Cons Block Standard Era, alongside three Atraxa in this list. So between EDH Demand and multiple decks in Pioneer running three copies of Atraxa, that bodes well for the fancy versions of that card. Yeah, we'll have to see how much of a bottom it gets to even as we keep opening... Uh, this product over the next couple months. 
Wrapping things up in the Pioneer Challenge, in eighth place we have Black Green Elves, uh, also a list we don't see all that often in the top eight of that format. Four collect a company there, and on the back of the Black Green Elf that lets you uh, force opponents to lose life equal to the number of elves you control when it enters the battlefield. Moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week, we kick things off with Footsteps of the Goryo out of Saviors of Kamigawa. $4 to $5 is only 25% gains, although the foils boosted up to almost $40. That's on the back of an aspiring Spike Brew, where he was using that alongside Persist to do uh, graveyard shenanigans in Modern this week on stream. We've got Natural Order out of Visions going $20 to $25. That's 25% gains. This was last reprinted in, was it Double Masters 2022? It was in the Mystical Archive, I think is what we were both thinking of. And that's the main one. And then Eternal Masters before that. Eternal Masters, yeah. Yeah. And the uh, Mystical Archives version, the global version, is about $13 right now. And the alternate art is... 12 to 13, depending on whether you're talking about the foil etched. Judge promos are over 100 bucks. So seeing natural, normal copies up 25% without no particular concept behind it that I can think of seems a little odd to me. I wonder if people are testing this in Elves in Legacy or something going after Atraxa. I was about to say, don't forget that Atraxa is a green card. And if you're looking for a great way to gain some value, this would be a way to do it. I'm just doing a quick check here to see if there was any... Nasty legacy results that we didn't pick up on. Well, in legacy, you're almost always getting progenitus. That's a whole cube deck. Natural order with your elf into that. Yeah, they run three natural order and legacy to begin with, but usually they're getting creator hoof. Or hoof. I mean, hoof is also a lovely target. You're, you're not going wrong on either one. It just depends on do you have enough creatures in play already. Hoof needs, what, three others, and then it's lethal if there's nothing in the way? Uh, yeah, three. Moving along, we've got Mana Confluence out of Journey into Nyx, $35 to $45. That's almost 30% gains on top of additional prior gains. And it's from heavy pioneer play across multiple decks, including the creativity list. There, I think the Lotus Field list also run it and a few of the others in that format. We have a secret layer version that's been pumping out of the uh, Pride secret layer. And I would not be surprised to see that show significant gains over the next year or so next on the list we've got blasphemous act surge foils from the 40k decks seven to twelve dollars up 70 percent surge foils targeted week in and week out so no huge surprise there as per usual the surge foils that are uh, associated with cards that have massive presence in edh are the ones that are your best bet commander's plate foils out of commander legends this is the just regular foils, not foil extended arts, $22 to $40, 63,000 decks running that card in EDH. I think it's very likely to show up in Commander Masters in August, so I'm very much in favor of selling Commander's Plate heading into that release. We have Vigor Battle Bond Foils going $22 to $55, 150% gains. There's 38,000 decks running that card in ED- on EDH rec, and it only has two foil printings. The original was in Lorwyn, which was 15 years ago or so, and the Battle Bond, Battle Bond foils are the only other version. I mean, there's been a bazillion things coming out with plus one, plus one counters, and Vigor's one of the first cards you want to throw in a deck like that. So it could be related to something like that, but it's also not that much supply. You know, Battle Bond was... That was 2018, correct? That That was... The year you and I got to do a Battle Bond draft, draft in Vegas? That sounds about right. Yeah, so we're talking five-year-old foils at Mythic. So there was not really that much of it to go around anyway. Caravex Spite out of Visions, $2 to $5. That's a reserve list card. Vampire Hexmage is up because of the battle cards. Vampire Hexmage lets you take all of the counters off a card, and the battle cards get a lot better if you can do that without giving up an attack step. So people are after the Vampire Hexmage foils and non-foils from Time Spile Remastered. The foils went $14 to $40, 180% gains. We also had Soul Spike out of Cold Snap foils go 10 to 40 I have no idea what's going on there. I didn't even know what this did until I looked it up. You discard two black cards, and you get to do a four damage lightning helix, if I'm not mistaken. 
It's a cold snap rare. There's very few sets that have been printed in the modern time that have got uh, opened as little as cold snap. So this, I'm sure there's some deck that's trying to use this as a last-ditch fire blast. Maybe there's some combo that we didn't know about. Somebody had a few copies. How many foils do you think were lurking on TCG Player to cause a spike like this? Ten? I'm just taking a look over the last week how many got bought. It looks like it only took six or seven copies yeah. to hollow things out here, so this is mostly a low supply issue. That makes perfect sense to me. And then Dan Dan, of course, is the super popular <laughs> underground format du jour in the Magic the Gathering community. It's a format where you have a whole bunch of Dan Dans in a deck, and it's built in a very specific way. And I think the players draw from the same deck and and then try to fight through battle through the fifth edition copies non-foil going a dollar to ten dollars 900 percent gains if you have a bunch of bulks in the ground you almost certain and it's old enough you probably have a bunch of dandans and you're supposed to pull those and sell those now you know there's chronicles versions you can go get we've got it on the original time shifted sheet to go find there's there's stuff out there and Godspeed on new formats. I hope it works out. I don't want anything to happen to a format like what happened to Tiny Leaners, but we'll see. <laughs> Over on Magic Online, our top movers of the week, Mana Confluence at A Born of the Gods, $24, 24 tickets to 33 tickets. That's the heavy, heavy Pioneer play behind that. Likewise, uh, it's been a combination of EDH, Pioneer, and uh, prior standard play for Hive of the Eye Tyrant from... AFR going 3.17 ticks to 4.59, 45% gains. And then top of this list is Timeless Lotus out of Dominaria, Remastered, uh, Dominaria United, sorry, 1.42 ticks to 3.33 on the back of an aspiring Spike Brew that he, I think, trophied with over the weekend in Modern, where he was using Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, and a variety of ways to untap the Lotus as it came into play to essentially build infinite mana. That sounds fun. I have to go look up that video. Moving on over to segment four, our cards to watch. I'm going to run a theme this week of gigantic creatures recently reprinted in secret layers that look like they are bound to have solid gains. We're going to kick things off with the Blightsteel Colossus Megatron combo out of the Transformers secret layer that uh, was delivered a couple months back. I'm going to give these a 12 to 18 month timeline to get from a current price point of about $35 US to say 55 or 60. It's in 42,000 decks on EDH Rec. It occasionally shows up on the fringes of modern and certainly in casual brews. People put this in their cubes, etc. And because it's Megatron and it's Blightsteel Colossus, I don't think it's going to take all that long for these to hollow out. They are selling at a brisk pace, one of the fastest selling secret layer cards of the week. And. Given that everybody is building poison-related brews this spring, this is under some additional pressure, and I think it's going to drift up fairly steadily. Now, it's a two-sided... It's the same on both sides, correct? It's just Megatron in robot mode and Megatron in tank mode. You get to pick which side you want to play. Okay. So, the climbing to 55 seems like a, a given, given where the... the price has been on this in the past there is the burn double masters that was the original vips right we haven't yeah blightsteel was last seen in double masters not double masters 2022 correct so the version the version that uh is the most expensive is that is the the borderless version from double masters and those are 85 for the non-foils, you know, close to 100 on the regular foils. But this one going up that high seems, as I said, just a given. That's really cool. I didn't realize that it was the uh, the same card on both sides, just in different forms. And then Optimus is the Darksteel Colossus, right? Correct. All right. That's cool. I approve. Good pick. I got to go get a couple of these. All right. What's your first selection? Uh, my first pick this week is a dragon, and is probably the best dragon to add if you build an Ur Dragon deck, because the Ur Dragon is coming out in August, and you're going to want copies of this ready to go. Miriam the Sentinel Worm is available in etched foil from Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate for around two bucks. I think that it'll go to seven dollars. It could go higher, but I'm picking seven. It sells a bunch of copies a day. It's already a very popular commander on its own. It moved a lot of cards on its own in between, you know, within the first couple of months after it came out. 
and being able to double up on all your amazing dragons is one of the most unfair things you can be doing in a dragon-themed deck. Every tribe gets really cool things that no other tribe can do. Miriam being able to double up on even your legendary dragons is top-notch and the first place you're going to want to go when you start building this deck. We're down to 120 listings of these near Mint. There are some major walls. Gaming Company's got 98 copies listed. And I think it's going to take some time to hollow out. But because Ur-Dragon is getting a reprint, there will be some pressure on this this summer. And I think that as long as the timeline is long enough, you've got 6 to 12 here. It might be 12 to 18. But given enough time, Miriam seems like a, a shoe in for some gains. As with many other cards these days, it's going to depend almost entirely on if they give us a secret layer before she has time to climb. Right. But the foil etch cards are not in ultra deep supply and they are f- selling at a brisk pace, as you said. So given enough time, I could see this, this showing gains. You said two to seven. That seems about right. If you, especially if you're looking at a buy list play, I think card kingdom currently only offering probably less than a buck on these. Worth noting that there is there's a Baldur's Gate variant, the showcase variant, That's and they offer ugly. nobody likes well, that. Oh well, you say that, but they offer three times more for it than they do for the foil etched. Foil etched is only a point six five, or sixty five cents or eighty five cents credit, whereas the showcase foil is a dollar forty to a dollar eighty two. There's uh, two hundred forty eight vendors who have the showcase version. So yeah, there's a, a lot of those out there too. I just, I clearly, I don't mind saying that I have a strong bias against this ugly, ugly showcase frame. Showcase foils have twice or almost half as many copies in stock on TCG Player and they don't have any of the major walls. So I wouldn't be surprised if those copies turn the corner faster. All right, all right. Good point. But uh, either version of this is going to go wild because... It's going to take a thousand people building this deck to to building an Ur Dragon deck in order to make this card in demand again, and it will happen. Well, I mean, it's not like it's in that low demand to begin with. I think if we look at top commanders of the last month, uh, Miriam is in she's in the eighth place, and Ur Dragon's in seventh. So the Ur Dragon reprint isn't even necessary to get these decks into the top ten. I like the way you think. Why not both? All right, moving right along, I'm going to go with Ulamog Ceaseless Hunger Serial Foil. If you haven't held these in hand, not only are they one of the coolest, most fun designs that have been released in the secret layer, they are really, really good looking foils. And because they are foiled on both sides, they do not curl because they have even even pressure from the foiling, uh, a common feature of double-sided foils. The borderless foils of Ulamog Ceaseless Hunger are currently going for about 36, which is very close to the Blightsteel Colossus Megatron price of 35. They were released on a similar timeline, so that's not tremendously surprising. And they have similar stats in EDH, where Blightsteel Colossus is in 42,000 decks reported and Ulamog's in 32,000. And as with Miriam getting some pressure from an Ur-Dragon reprint, we also have the Eldrazi Focus Commander deck that's coming out alongside Commander Masters. So you would expect fancy Eldrazi to get some pressure from that. And in this case, we're talking about Ulamog. Uh, Slam Dunk. This is a pick that I should have made myself and excellently done. I I have have your word to take on it being cute. I like the game you have on the mini back. Connect the identical Hedrons to banish Ulamog. All the information is on the nutritional label. This is almost exactly the same price as regular copies for Battle for Zendikar, and you know there's a lot less out there. So yeah, let's uh, let's get these cheap while we can and reap the profits in just a few short weeks. That's a that's a great find. I can't believe this was so cheap from the uh, secret lair drop. What was, what else was in this drop? This had the dinosaur, right? And one Galta. Other. Galta. And Atali. And Atali, that's right. Yeah, that was a good drop. I should have bought that. My other pick this week, uh, I'm actually going back into a pick you made a while ago, uh, back in episode 286, almost two years ago. Uh, you said that the first sliver old border foil, uh, I'm not sure if you wrote down etched or not, but I'm choosing the etched ones today. 
You pick them to go 15 to $35 back then. Right now they're available for between 25 and 30 And on TCG right now, there's 29 listings left for the etched foils and 46 listings for the regular foils. I think you've got a good case to be made either way. Uh, I like the etched foils personally because they curl less, something you just mentioned. And so I'm picking them to go 25 to double up to 50 once we get our sliver hype on this summer and we get a new sliver to throw these into. Even if we get an, even if the first sliver is a reprint in that deck, I think that the old border foils are still going to have a, a healthy growth as people want to get shinies. From the time of my original selection of this card, and I think it was the old border foil, not the etch that I selected, it got up into the early 20s, then got back down to 15 last July, and since then has climbed to 25 to $27 or so. So, as you say, Sliver Hype is real heading into the summer. A lot of good slivers and fancy versions of good slivers are selling well for a lot of the pro traders as they uh, report their sales in our sales data reporting channel. And... My original selection is already looking like a win. You're saying an alternate version can get even higher. Given how many copies are left on TCG Player, I think you're probably going to be correct. We're looking at just 19 listings with no major walls left of this card. If you cracked Modern Horizons 1 or Modern Horizons 2 CVs, you probably got a bunch of these lying around and you should be looking to get them up for sale. As As a player or collector... I will caution you against the foil etched. I think that they look very bad. In really? Hand. Yeah, they have. They're very. They're overly dark. You can even see it in the in the pictures on the on TCG Player. All right. The art pops a lot better in the foil retro frame. So at a similar price point, if you're gonna, especially if you're gonna be double sleeving these, you do not want them in the foil etched MH2 treatment because those cards are all uh, universally dark and have been caught. Con- taken out of a bunch of decks from EDH players I've played with uh, because they just don't show off well. That said... They need to keep double-sleeving in mind more. I've got a couple of the oil slick foils that are, like, raised up, and those are a crime to put in a double-sleeve, but I do. Bottom line is there's no list version of this card, although there could be when we get to late summer. It's just Modern Horizons and then the Modern Horizons 2 premium reprints. So there aren't all that many copies of this, even a non-foil sitting around, And I'm pretty sure I've got some Russian and Russian foil versions of this that are going to yield some solid profits come summertime. Let's see. First sliver regular copies are also around 23 for regular and then 38 for the foil versions. So yeah, there's not a lot of product for this at all. What's the... It's It's also a card that has never been released in a non-premium product. Right. It was only it was only in the two horizon sets. We know that Commander Masters is going to have four boosters per commander bo- per collector booster box, correct? Yes, yes, you're right. Commander Masters is the same as Double Masters 2022. All right. So, given that they're doing that is and we don't have any pricing information for the Commander Masters pre-constructed commander decks. We no we do, no we do. We I've already heard from vendors that they are priced higher than normal. So do you think something like this would be in that deck? It's not impossible that it's in there as a non-foil. All but right. it would be a push because it's almost a $30 card. Even if the decks are 70 bucks, that's still a push. That, that, that does seem high for what they do. You know, They usually don't put something that big in there anymore. What's yeah. the Indestructible Hive Lord? That one does have a mystery booster version. It's $15, so that seems more likely. That seems much more likely. They've already put a reprint on it, so nobody's going to feel bad about that. And we've had a secret layer version of it. And there's a secret layer too. That's right. Thomas Backs had a crack at it. That's the one that's going to be in the in the deck. Side note: Thomas Backs' sliver hive load foils at twenty dollars are down to twenty eight listings, with a few mm. a couple of major walls. So they could potentially catch some some action here too. I mean, all the slivers are going to have a good time. Let's jump on over to the March of the Machine previews that have come out since last week we recorded on march 27th so i believe we can start with some of the early battle cards they showed us invasion of zendikar three in a green this is uncommon battle which is a siege subtype 
When Invasion of Zendikar enters the battlefield, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. It's got a very low uh, battle cost of three, which means you have to do three damage to it or attack it for three. And then it flips into a 4-4 four, four, Vigilance Haste, which says as long as it's on the battlefield, it's a land in addition to its other types, and it can tap to add one mana of any color. So think about what basically needs to happen here in EDH context. You're getting two lands for the same cost as a bunch of other forecasting costs green spells already do, but it's got additional upside because if you attack it, then you get to flip it into a land that's also a 4-4 four, four Vigilance Haste. That seems good. <laughs> seems like that will see plenty of play. I think we're going to see a lot of battles. You know, we've we're all we're only getting the siege type of battles. So and that where they come into play and they have defense counters and they work just like planeswalkers, only they can you know, you attack them down, you remove one counter at a time or whatever if you're only dealing one damage. If something says it deals damage to any target, it's that much better. We got a preview of uh, con- it's not Convoke the Flame. What's it called again? I forget what Stoke the... Stoke the Flames. Stoke the Flames. Thank you. We've had uh, other... If it says they're going to uh, deal damage to any target, its value goes up. So we will see how many of those they selectively print. We'll get battles with other neat things that they do. But right now, all the battles that we're given have this siege effect. They also showed us off the face cards for the commander decks associated with March of the Machine, and they are all fairly interesting builds as commanders. We have Brimaz, Blight of Areskos, two white black for a 3-4 Phyrexian cat. Whenever you cast a Phyrexian creature or artifact creature spell, incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. That gives you a artifact token with X plus one plus one counters on it that you can pay two to transform into a creature. At the beginning of each end step, if a Phyrexian died under your control this turn, proliferate. Yeah, so anything that lets you incubate a bunch of times is going to generate a lot of artifacts, and there's going to be ways to mine that for value. The other thing that's really cute about these is you can set up turns where in EDH, frequently you, you know, three, four times a game, there's going to be a board wipe. And one of the ways to recover quickly from that is if you have incubate tokens in play ready to flip over that you leave, you know, like Zerlings hiding under the (laughs) ground waiting to eat your space marines. And you just wait for somebody to fire off a supreme verdict, then boom, flip like three, three, threes or something. I think that that's definitely a thing. We're going to see a lot of uh, plus one, plus one counter stuff. Go nuts. Uh, we're overdue for a reprint of the. We're due for a print of the Ozolith, I think, in one of these decks. Uh, we've got our first sign of eminence since the original Urdragon deck. We've got Siddhar Jabari of Zalfir, who says whenever you attack with one or more knights, if he's in play or on the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. And that's in Esper colors. Mm, so it's not just in play, it's in the command zone or on the battlefield. That's correct. That's what makes eminence so dang broken. You know, it's why Edgar Markov in the original uh, form was so reviled. Because no matter what you do, you're always getting the vampire tokens. And this is already really great. You know, four mana for flying first strike. So we're going to see a bunch of knights that are going to go up when this deck gets out. The broken halo, the angel ally. I love it randomly whenever they put a new ally into commander. We just like get more and more ally triggers. But whenever you cast another spell that has Convoke, scry two, and then draw a card, you're stapling that onto an effect? That's amazing on Castle of the Broken Halo. I'm not sure there's enough Convoke cards overall to make this a fantastic commander, but as you get more Convoke cards over time, she gets more and more tempting because Flying Vigilance Haste on a 5-4 is already solid, and whenever you cast another spell that has Convoke, scry two, then draw a card is very solid. Well, keep in mind, you know, this has Convoke, so your creatures can help you cast it, no matter how expensive and annoying it might be. But I think the one that's going to drive the most, uh, I mean, a lot of obscure-ass cards into value is going to be Gimbal, the Gremlin Prodigy, the two teamer colors. So green, blue, red, and 4-4 artifact creatures you control have Trample, and at your end step, make a 0-0 Gremlin artifact creature token, and then put X-1-1 counters on it, where X is the number of differently named artifact tokens you control. That is something people can't wait to build around. I, I'm not sure that that is true. 
I don't think that that is going to... I think people that are deep into the format will get a little buzz off that because there's a lot of fun to be had down that path. That's but it's what not I'm saying. A, but it, yeah, but it's your average EDH player is much more, oh, that commander big, deal damage, good. Like they're, <laughs> Subtle commanders are not necessarily the ones that do best. I mean, Atrax has been top of the heap for a while because she's not subtle in the slightest. The... You know, the Ur Dragon is popular for the same reason. Big dragons go smash. However, this def- this looks like something I might try to build. And over time, they're going to keep giving us additional artifact tokens. They keep doing it. You get one or two new types per year. And for as long as that goes on, this gets fun more and more fun. What's what we the... need is like an academy manufacturer. I was going to that... say, that's the card that, that's going to get reprinted in this. The manufacturer is the perfect card to throw into this deck. The thing is, it only counts three of the types. What you want is one that where it says something like, if you make one type of artifact token, you can make any of the rest of these. That's what like the manufacturer some... does. You make one, no, but instead it... you get three. Yeah, yeah, but only for three types. It's only food, treasure, and uh, clues. clues. Right, but there's a bunch of other types. Like It doesn't affect incubation at all. Well, so you, you got need... other fun things to add. You need them to print a card that says whenever you make any artifact token, you can pick from among all available types to make an additional artifact token. Well, like that's true too. So I, I think this is going to be a slow burner over time, and I, I don't. I'd be very surprised if it breaks into the top ten, let alone the top twenty. They also showed us Bright Palm Soul Awakener, one Naya colors for four three Fox Shaman. Backup one when this creature enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature if it's an if that that's another creature it gains the following ability until end of turn so it gives whenever this creature attacks double the number of plus one plus one counters on target creature that creature can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less this turn so if you're playing you're building a counters matters deck this is cute but you probably would rather just be playing atraxa you get an extra color and it's overall more powerful probably yeah this is just another uh, another really fun way to You've got a bunch of counters. All right, let's double them up and do some real work. I like that plan. They showed off Cami of Whispered Hopes, two and a green for a 1-1 one, one spirit. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a permanent, you control that many plus one plus one counters are put on that permanent instead. So it's like a hardened scales on a stick. It can also tap to add X mana of any one color where X is its power. So in the counters matters decks like Atraxa, this is very strong. They also showed off a variety of other invasions. I think we talked about invasion of Ikoria last week as being the most likely busted battle. Invasion of Tarkir, I think we touched on last week, and I, I asked the question, you know, could this be a Jeskai Dragons deck in Pioneer? So over the weekend, I went ahead and built it. And I got to say, this deck looks like it's worth testing because... One of the problems with Jeskai Dragons when Pioneer was first a format was the fact that there just weren't that many low casting cost dragons that mattered. But since then, in Ikoria, they printed Sprite Dragon, which is a 1-1 in Jeskai colors that is very happy to see you cast non-creature spells because it gets bigger over time. So now you have four Orator of Ojitai, four Draconic Roar, four Silmagar Scorn, and now you've got Invasion of Tarkir, all that want to see dragons revealed from your hand. Draconic Roar is three to a creature, three to a player for two. Silumgar Scorn is a counterspell for two in Pioneer, if you reveal a dragon. Orator of Ojitai is a 0-4 flyer that draws a card, so it's a flying wall of omens. And then you've got Sprite Dragon. And then you've got Fable of the Mirror Breaker to bridge into your late game as your three your you know, no-fail case three drop that everybody plays in every red deck and then you get to bridge that into thunderbreak regent moonveil regent glory bringer phyrexian dragon engine zergo and ojitai and terror of the peaks in whatever combination you think is correct moonveil regent moonveil regent says if you cast a multicolored spell then you get to deal damage to something equal to the number of colors in that spell so your sprite dragons start turning into 1-1 one, one flying haste with prow, well permanent prowess that deal two damage to something on the way in. And Zergo and Ojitai returns itself to your hand at the end of combat, and the opponent can never kill it because it has hexproof the turn it comes into play. So you cast the Zergo with a Moonveil region in play. 
you deal three damage to something, you attack for five, you get to look at the top three cards, pick the best one, put it in your hand, and then scoop the Ojitai and put it back in your hand. I mean, you can get, uh, let's see, Moonbill Moon Regent and Innistrad Double Feature will be the rarest. Those are 25-ish. I don't think this is a financial discussion. This is just a here is a fringe deck for Pioneer that people probably don't realize suddenly exists. Because Invasion of Tarkir is two damage to something plus the number of dragons you reveal. Mm-hmm. Well, this deck has a lot of dragons. So you're going to reveal for, you're going to do three or four with Invasion of Tarkir. And then if you hit it for five, then it flips into Defiant Thunder Mob, which is a four, four flying trample that says whenever a dragon you control attacks, it deals two damage to any target. So between the Moonveil and the Defiant Thundermaw and the fact that Thunderbreak Regents deal uh, three when anybody targets them, you have a ton of incidental damage that it's tough for the opponent to work around. You also get to leverage Haven of the Spirit Dragon to bring key dragons back from your graveyard in exchange for sacking a land and paying two mana. So looks like a fun deck. Could be something. Moving right along here, we've got uh, a bunch of other interesting cards that have been revealed. Uh, They showed us Invasion of Maug. I don't even know where that plane is or what set that refers to. Hmm. But Maug is whenever Invasion of Mag enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. So very good in the Counters Matters decks. Then it flips into a 3-3 Dryad with Ward 2 that says, at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So that slides right into Atraxa Counters Matters. There's another dragon, if you're feeling lucky, uh, in Hidegetsu and Kairi. 5-4 flying for two double blue and then a black. When it comes into play, Brainstorm. Draw three, then put two cards from your hand on top. And then when it dies, you get to exile the top card of your library. Target opponent loses life equal to its mana value. And then if it's an instant or sorcery, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. I love it when they're sitting around in a meeting and they say, a creature with brainstorm is not good enough. We need to add some real, real value to this. Yeah, that that's a solid value engine that probably slots right into something like Joda, the unifier. I won't be... Exp- Surprised at all to see that Knight Errant of Eos ends up broken in Standard and or Pioneer. Four and a white for a 4-4 four, four Convoke. So let's just say you have two creatures on the battlefield. This is going to cost three mana. When it enters the battlefield, you then look at the top six cards of your library. You may re- reveal up to two creature cards with mana value X or less from among them, where X is the number of creatures that convoked. So if two creatures convoked, you get two, two casting costs or less creatures. If four creatures convoked, say an EDH... Then this costs one for a 4-4 four, four, and goes and searches up two four, four, four casting costs or less creatures out of the top six cards. I think your your spicy number is two there, especially on like turn four or so. You keep a creature back, you play a two drop, you uh, do what you need to do to, to get this to a, a magical place because we've already got really good uh, mono white deck playing in standard right now. So this an amazing engine for that where you get to decide how much pain to administer and how much creatures to hold back in order to gain you know you can, if you convoke for the full five you can find another copy of this inga and asika legendary creature human god two green blue all creatures you control have vigilance and add one mana of any color spend this mana only to cast creature spells and whenever you cast a creature spell if three or more mana from a creature was spent to cast it draw a card so in joda this cascades and the next time somebody casts a creature spell if three or more mana from a creature was spent to cast it you draw a card so you could be tapping your legends to play a legend which would then draw a card and cascade all at the same time yep that's that's a lot in there how do you like another bite at fiery it's not fiery confluence is it fiery emancipation fiery emancipation where we've got city on fire This time it's eight mana, but it's got Convoke, so your creatures can help cast it. So the deck in EDH that most likes this card is probably Gearson Goblins, where you're using all the goblins to Convoke this into play on turn four or five or something, and then you don't care if they kill your Gearson, because this whole thing where it triples damage does not stack well with Gearson, 
So it seems like it would be a non-bow, but the reality in a Gearson deck is you don't care what's doubling or tripling damage. You just want to have something <laughs> doubling or tripling damage. Nine times in damage is not really the end goal. And I won a Gearson game this weekend on the back of Fire Emancipation. So I could imagine City on Fire will easily make goblin builds in in Commander for some time to come. The problem here is financially speaking as this is a rare not a mythic so it's going to be a lot harder to get the gains that emancipation showed it's also from a what is likely to be a very popular set with a high very print run, popular as yeah. opposed to a summer set like emancipation was from how about uh triple green for all the decks that care about that for tribute to the world tree for enchantment you get your choice whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control draw a card if it's power or three or greater otherwise put two one one counters on it notably does not say non-token so this is just a way to make sure that all your token creatures come in that much bigger it's really cute in jenny fey i was about to say if you're jenny k cats your cats are three ones right no the cats are two two haste but the dogs are three one dogs are three ones so every dog gives you a card yeah and if it's a cat it's a four four haste what's not to love that, that fits right into Ginny Fey and Jet Mirror. There's no doubt about it. I tried to put it in Muldrotha this weekend, and it ended up sitting in my hand for 10 turns. Because <laughs> the triple green I didn't have for a little while, and then when I had it, I just didn't care about this card anymore because my card advantage engine was like way over the top. So I think it's mostly going to do work in the big creatures decks and the token decks. Now, this is outclassed if you're just talking about the draw card for three or greater. Two and a green... You draw a card if it's got four greater and everything with four greater, you draw a card. Yeah, but that's, but again, as you said, this, this one triggers off tokens and the other right. one does not. So well, it, it can if your tokens are big enough. Yeah, but I mean, un, usually that won't be the case. Garuk's Uprising is the card I'm thinking of. Sure, which is, is a reasonably popular card in its own right. Uh, I do, however, in Muldrotha really like Invasion of Chandelar. Three double green for a battle card. Whenever, when Invasion of Chandelar enters the battlefield, you return up to three target permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. So in decks that have stocked graveyards, that's going to do a lot of work in EDH. And then if you do four damage to this thing, you get to flip it into an enchantment enchantment that says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't, I didn't, I had it in the deck this weekend when we were testing, but I didn't draw into it. Uh, it's not that it's unique in the deck. There, Madratha him, herself himself uh, is already the king of, of this effect. But you, the key to the deck is that even if they kill Madratha a couple times, you want that redundancy. The same thing I was talking about with Garrison. The best EDH commanders are the ones where the deck does the job even if the commander is not in play. And Leyline Surge lets you get there in the recursion decks. So I think this is going to be a popular one. Again, it's a, this one is a mythic, not a rare. So if I had to pick, you know, a mythic EDH enchantment style permanent, that was likely to be a fiery emancipation type card here, it might be invasion of Chandelier. It's hard to argue with this. Every deck should have some amount of recursion of things. Notably, you know, it's got their thing that they're doing lately where, you can only get permanence back. You can't get problematic spells back. So yeah, this this is going to do some work, I think, and should be something worth a, a couple dollars. There's a really nice rare for black-red sack decks. Ayara, Widow of the Realm, one double black. Legendary creature, Elf Noble. Tap, sack another creature or artifact. Ayara deals X damage to target opponent or battle. That's interesting. Incidental damage to battles is a big deal. It is. Because taking a turn off even a partial attack phase in EDH to go deal with a battle, to flip it, it, is not always going to be worth it. And I suspect in one-on-one, you're going to see a relatively few number of battles get cast. Only the very best of the battles will end up in Standard and Pioneer and potentially Modern because of that. However, when you can do this thing where you're sacking for value and then gaining life and you're dealing damage to an opponent or battle, that's just all upside. Then it flips from a 3-3 into a 4-4 four, four, 
and it says at the beginning of combat on your turn return up to one target artifact or creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield it gains haste excellent at the beginning of the next end step so picture like faithless looting a blightsteel colossus megatron into your yard and then sacking something and then flipping a yara shortly thereafter and then bringing back the blightsteel and hitting somebody upside the head with it that seems good I think that it would be hard to argue with instant speed, hasty goodness like that. And then in that deck, you probably have a way to sack it so that it does not get exiled. And then it would get, in that in that particular case, it would get shuffled back in. But if it was something like Archon of Cruelty, you'd just be setting up to do it all over again. It's, uh, it's a shame that you can't uh, have Ayara and then the flipped version of Ayara together because, gosh, they would play together nicely. No, but I really need to talk about Invasion of Alara because this is a card I'm really excited to put into every five-color deck, but especially the Ur-Dragon. Okay, okay, okay. So it's Wooburg. It's one of each color. It's a seven-mana, seven-defense battle. When it comes into play, exile cards from the top of your library until you hit two non-lands with value four or less. So the first two that are four or less that you hit, one of those you can cast without paying its mana cost, and the other goes into your hand. So we're talking five mana to get somewhere around three or four mana of it back immediately because you get to play it for free. And then when you hit for seven, you get to cast Awaken the Maelstrom, which is the sorcery side of the battle. And it's all colors, just for fun. Target player draws two cards. Put an artifact from your hand onto the battlefield. Create a token that's a copy of a permanent you control. Distribute three 1-1 counters among one, two, or three creatures you control. And destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Holy biscuits. That's the whole shopping list right there. That's fun. It's going to be even better down the road when there's easier ways to bring battles back from the yard. Yeah, because when there, then we I... get more ways to just remove counters from battles. Because then in decks like Tom, Tom the Bomb or Goshintai... You can start recurring this even though it's not a saga, and it'll do a bunch of work. I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, that one's fun. There's also Vorinclex was revealed. Trample Reach for a 6-6 that costs 5. 5 mana. (laughs) When it enters the battlefield, search your library for up to 2 forest cards, not basic forests, so you can go get 2 triumphs with this. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. For 8, exile it and return it to the battlefield as the grand evolution mill 10 cards put up to two creature cards from among the milled cards onto the battlefield wow boom next turn distribute seven plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control cool until end of turn on the next turn creatures you control gain one this creature fights target creature you don't control (laughs) which is basically a board wipe at that point if they haven't dealt with your what's on your table and then you get Vorinclex back, which means you get to go find two more forests all over again. Yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah. the ease with which the first flip of Vorinclex leads to other flips of Vorinclex is going to be exceeded only by Ourobrask, who we'll talk about in a moment. They also showed us Ozolith Shattered Spire, one green for a legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be placed, you get one additional one, so basically hardened scales on an artifact for one more mana. And then it also has cycling two, so flexibility if you don't need it at the moment. And one and a green tap, put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact creature, target creature or artifact you control. So this can be put onto incubation uh, tokens. It can be put onto power conduits, if I'm not mistaken. It can just be randomly sitting on an artifact and moved somewhere else later with the original Ozolith. Yep. Uh, Looks like it might make its way into the affinity builds in modern, and it'll certainly find plenty of play in EDH. So in terms of rares that might be brickable, this has got to be in the top five so far. I agree with that. This is a card that hopefully people overlook for a while. It gets dirt cheap, and we can buy a whole bunch of them. That would be what we what we want. Let's see. What else do we have here that jumps out at me? Uh, we've got the Invasion of Innistrad, which is the two black-black flash battle. When it comes into play, a uh, target creature and opponent controls gets minus 13, minus 13 until end of turn. And so and it's got five defense counters on it. So after you kill a thing, deal five damage to it. When it comes into play as an enchantment, Deluge of the Dead. When it comes into play, get two, two, two zombies. And then for two and a black, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card... 
create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. I think we're going to see this played a surprising amount considering that you get the difficult-to-stop removal spell, you know, flash, minus 13, minus 13, and if you can deal 5 to it, then you get two zombies and you get the chance to just keep churning out more zombies. I, I love this. I can't wait to see this do some work. Yeah, that's pretty fun in zombie decks for sure. Yes, yes it is. Uh, I got a chance to play the new, the new Shieldred, which is just called Shieldred. They all are just single names like Madonna this time around. <laughs> and she did a ton of work. Uh, Shield of the Apocalypse is a great grindy card that does extra work in life gain decks. This Shielder just goes in almost every black deck in EDH from now to the end of time. It's that good. It is a Menace 4-5 for 5. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or planeswalker. And for four in a black, as long as an opponent has at least eight cards in their graveyard, you get to flip her over into the true scriptures. The first part of this saga reads, for each opponent, destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls. The next turn, each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. And then the following turn, put all creature cards from all graveyards onto the battlefield under your control. And then you flip back into having Shieldred and they sack another non-token creature or planeswalker. Ugh. That is brutal. Such a beating. And we were talking before cast about how if you can reanimate this a few times or mm. flicker it or oh. bounce it Stop. or it's dead. You use the black red scam effects, then mm. it's just it just gets completely ridiculous. It does. Uh I think you know, every player can handle the idea, destroy, you know, my best creature, that stings, but they die in Commander. Discarding three cards, that is just going to make some people cry at your table. And then, of course, you're going to get to reanimate everything the very next turn. It's ridiculous. I love it. I, you're right. I can't wait to play it in every single black deck I ever build. So I wouldn't, sleep, I wouldn't sleep on this as a potential mythic spec. Uh, if it starts showing up in significant numbers in standard, then, you know, it's a little tricky because they like to run a lot of Shield or the Apocalypse already. So I don't know if this is maybe a onesie, twosie in those lists. Um, but in terms of EDH play, it seems like it's going to get a lot. It might be a onesie, twosie kind of a thing. That seems quite likely. I don't think this will have a chance to get very cheap, but... Like you said before, this set is going to get opened a lot, and some of the things in here are just going to get caught up in the serialized amazingness, uh, re multiverse legends, like all this stuff that's going on. Uh, I think one of the things that will come close to being bulk, and it's a shame, is the rare C double, two blue blue for an instant. The spell can't be copied. I don't think we've ever seen that on a card before, but you either get to create a token that's a copy of target creature, so now you are cloning something at instant speed at base, or you get to copy target spell, choosing new targets for the copy, or if they have eight or more cards in the yard, you get to do both. Yeah, that's pretty good. I also spotted Rona, Herald of Invasion. This is a very pushed uh, looter. One in a blue for a 1-3 human wizard. That's already Those are already relevant tribes. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, untap Rona. So... It has a looting ability, draw a card, discard a card. In a deck like Jonah, uh, the Unifier, you're probably going to get to do this twice a turn, if not more. Uh, for five and a two life or a black, you can flip it. And then it becomes a 5-5 five, five Trample Phyrexian Wizard. Whenever a source deals damage to Rona, the source's controller exiles a card from their hand at random. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield under your control. Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. So, yeah, that really puts the hurt on the red decks for sure. But it's also real cute if you're running something like Pestilence. Because then you can do one damage to it a bunch of times and cast a bunch <laughs> of stuff off your own deck for free. And it gets real nasty. I like that. This is also probably a pretty good commander by itself on that basis. Because you can play all of the black damage effects that hurt your own creatures. And Rona will just eat that up. It's one of those early game commanders that helps 
fix your board state in hand by looting you into a mid game and make sure you don't fall too far behind. And then, you know, sure, they're going to kill it once or twice, but they're not going to bother doing that until you get to the point where you could have enough land to transform her. And then eventually, eventually they're going to be forced to deal with more pressing threats because the drawing of resources is a question mark. It's not the same as somebody having a blight still on the table. And so in the mid-late game in Commander, Rona even flipped will often not be the most pressing threat. I am going to be upset whenever I see somebody hurting Rona for their own value. And then I'll want to, I'll say to myself, why aren't you just playing this deck, Cliff? That would be much more efficient than just being jealous. The other good looking commander I I spotted is Croxa and Koronos. Konoros? Konoros looks better. Uh, Elder Giant Dog. (laughs) <laughs> uh, wasn't on my bingo card for creature types for the year. Three Mardu for a 6-6 Vigilance Menace Lifelink. Already very effective at controlling the board. Whenever Croxa and Coronos enters the battlefield or attacks, you can exile the five top... Uh, sorry, you may exile five cards of your choosing from your graveyard when you do return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So again, we have a... A commander that's not as good as Modrotha, because Modrotha has no downside. It's just stuff in your yard can be recast. It it just has to be a variety of different permanent types to really abuse it. This one is closer to people in the Discord pointed out. It's kind of like Uro or Croxa in the sense that it's essentially, you know, it's got to exile some cards to, to come back and keep doing the thing. But this is also in the same way as some of the other cards we've talked about. Uh, like Shieldred, abusable with flicker effects, with uh, uh, undying malice type effects, where it dies, it comes back. Right. And you're going to have to have a pretty stocked graveyard to make good use of it. So you're probably only going to get to use it three to five times per EDH game. But each time you do, you're probably bringing in an Archon of Cruelty or a Burn. It's just going to be silly. It's hard not to argue with that. You get to stuff your deck full of things you want to reanimate and some fun ways to discard cards. And you're in business. That's going to be popular. I think we're going to see some fun uh, Jeru and Hazaret decks. Two red, red, white for a 5-4 human god. Whenever it attacks, you look at the top six and you may exile a legendary creature card from among them. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And then you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. So, uh, first of all, if you can wait until you have one or fewer cards in hand and then cast this, you're going to get something immediately on attack. And secondly, just whenever it attacks, you're going to get the bonus card into play, which is just going to mean every red and white legend has to be considered for the Jero and Hazaret deck. I, I might put that one together. I really like how a commander tells you exactly what to do and rewards you for doing exactly that. It's fairly cute. They also showed us the new Urabrask, 4-4 four, four for two double red. First strike, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it deals one damage to target opponent, and you add one red to your mana pool. Anytime you have a thing that has an unlimited amount of mana that can be added based on game actions, you have to consider whether there's a Storm-style deck that wants to play with this card. Right. And then for one, an Exile Urabask, you can flip it over, but you can only do it if you've cast three or more instants or sorcery spells that turn, which of course lends itself to that whole zero or one casting cost Storm plan. When it flips over, it becomes the Great Work. The Great Work deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control. The second one is create three treasure tokens. Third one is until end of turn, you can cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard. And if a spell cast this way would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead, then flip it back to Urabrask. Uh, I'm not sure that the backside of this works super well with the front side, but it's possible that this card is a thing without it ever flipping. I mean, you don't have to flip it. You can choose whether or not you're going to flip it. And it's worth mentioning that there is a Commander Mega combo with this. If you are if you put Urabrask in your Veyron Voice of Duality deck, which has the text, if you casting a copy an instant or sorcery spell causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So now every one of your spells is two mana and two damage. Like, watch out. <laughs> I like Invasion of Theros uh, in the Enchantments Matters decks for EDH. When it comes to the battlefield, you 
get an aura god or demigod card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. That's a lot of options, and it's going to be more and more options over time. Then you've just got to do four to it. So in the case of Xur the Enchanter, the thing I go search up could be the thing that makes Xur big. Then Xur swings in once. I get to bring another enchantment into play, hit this battle, and then it flips into a Farah Ever Sheltering, which is a 4-4 god, has lifelink and indestructible as long as you control at least three other enchantments, which is very likely, given that you got one and a second one in that sequence. And then whenever another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. So, I mean, this seems seems like a lock for multicolor enchantments matters decks. One thing that that's notable about this card is that it's not a white card. Its color identity is white and blue because the backside is white, white-blue color identity, even though it doesn't have a casting cost. Yeah, they didn't put the color indicators on the bottom Front two side. lines of text the way that they used to do. Um I don't know. They, they well, should and there's no way to there's way, no way to know from the front side of the card that the color identity is blue and white. Yeah. So there's going to be a bunch of people that put put these battle monocolor front side battles into decks and get called out in their play groups. I would guess. It's like what? What do you mean? There's one more that I, I think we should mention, and that's the invasion of Ixalan. The it's not quite Oath of Nissa level stuff where you get whatever you want on the top three. But for one in a green, it comes into play, and you look at the top five, and you reveal a permanent card and put it into your hand, and the rest will go on to the bottom. And then you just need to deal four damage to get a 4-3 trample. But being able to have, you know, one in a green, choose the, the best of your top five is pretty amazing stuff that I think we're going to see in a lot of different decks. Yeah, that, that's just a flexible green search ability. But we, we have seen check top four plenty before at sorcery speed in green and it's never been a super big deal true i'm sorry go ahead broadly speaking with most of the set revealed it looks like a very strong set i'd put it on par with phyrexia all will be one where i think the mythic the praetors are just ah, it's hard to say it's gonna say there's a step below but i'm not sure that i entirely agree with that i think they are comparable overall i'm gonna go with that that I That's think a good way that to put it. I think the Norn and the Shouldered here are especially good. Vorinclex searching up two triomes and then doing it again later also pretty good. The Jinjitaxius also pretty strong, and the Urbrask looks like it has potential for some combo builds. So those are all pretty good mythics. And I, I'm going to go on record saying that neither Norn nor Shouldered has ever had a bad card. One of the only some of the only characters in Magic history to only get bangers. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Because the original shoulder, it's no joke either. I run, I've been running that in Mildroth. Oh, yeah. That, no. yeah. That's the Nobody... one where everybody sacks a creature every turn and you bring a creature back from your yard and your upkeep. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, overall, the set looks... I, I didn't spot a mythic here that looks like it's destined for top eight modern play. So that's worth flagging. I do see a ton of stuff that has niche use in specific decks for EDH. Like a lot of cards 20 30 40 50 potential edh substaples that are in every enchantment deck or every dragon deck or whatever because because the themes of this set was phyrexia in, invading all the planes right so you, every, got, you got everybody so you got, got a little something yeah so you got a, a little taste of a lot of stuff it's one of the broadest themed sets in magic history as a result I see where you're coming from. I would agree with you. There's a, not any one like holy biscuits hit it out of the park card, but there's a whole lot of everybody will find something they want. I believe that every one of my commander decks is going to get one or two cards from this set to start with. And I, I think that'll be the case for most people. They'll be thinking about, is this good enough? Is this not good enough? And it's at least worth thinking about. All right. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. 
I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $7.99 a month or $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Wow, that was a lot for one podcast, James, but we did it. Thanks a bunch. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you all next week for the final drips and drabs of March of the Machine and another episode of MTG Fast Finance. 